Thank you, Pastor Don. You're probably surprised that I was already back there and ready to bring Don's microphone up for him because he forgot. Well, the reason I was back there is because I forgot to make sure this was on. But who knows? Grab your Bibles. We're in a very interesting section in Romans. We're going to be looking at the Lord's desire for us as we live in this crazy world. We're in this world, but we're really not part of this world. Our kingdom is above, and our city is the city that we're looking for in the future. But right now, what do we do while the Lord has us here? Well, the first part of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, Paul shared the full extent of the Lord's love for us. These chapters, Paul shares, what's our response to be? And boiling it down to this, this is what I came up with. If you look at your notes, if you want to take notes, it's just simply, because Jesus died for you, choose to live for him right where he has you today. And we come to chapter 13, we continue talking about how do we respond to Jesus' love for us in this world that we live in today. Well, because he loved us, we choose to live for him. We're going to see that the believer, we have citizenship here, but we have citizenship in heaven also. We have a twofold responsibility. And when there's a conflict between the two, always our first responsibility is to our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. But Jesus made it clear that we do have a responsibility to the human government that God has set up in this world. In Matthew 22, Jesus laid out our responsibility. Remember what he said? He said to those that, We're trying to trick him. He said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So our lives belong to the Lord, but we also have an obligation to government. Therefore, Paul tells us, if you look in your Bibles, chapter 13, verse 1, he just lays it out. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So when did God appoint these authorities? We find in God's word that there are three God-ordained institutions in this world today that the Lord appointed. In Genesis 2, He established marriage in the family. In Acts 2, he birthed the church. In Genesis 9, that's where he originated human government. When Noah walked off the ark, God gave basic principles to human beings at that time which they should rule themselves. Remember, before the flood, things got crazier and crazier and crazier to the point that there was really no hope. 
Increasingly, there was anarchy, chaos, unbridled evil. Your notes number two, following the flood, God instituted government to curb evil and promote good. That's the Lord's heart and will for human government. So, 25 years after Jesus' statement to render to Caesar and to belong to the Lord, it's obvious Paul was still chewing on all the things that that meant and the ramifications. His phraseology, if you look in verse 7, is really interesting. And he says there in verse 7, Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It sounds just like Jesus' words, where Jesus said, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. So here we go. Romans chapter 13, Paul is explaining our duty as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to God and country. Paul gives us four motives for obeying God's institution of human government. Number one, for wrath's sake. We'll read verses one through four. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Verse 4, For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, We're going to look at these verses a little bit. Verse 1, did you notice this? The authorities that exist, underline that exist. So it's not just government in general that's God's idea. Somehow it's the rulers that exist today. The result of God's purpose for them, and I want to really emphasize this point, God's purpose for them to curb evil and promote good. And be sure of this, all governing authorities will someday answer to God for their actions. Now we in America think our leaders were elected, or we hope so, but God is sovereign. Scripture shows us God is somehow behind the scenes actually pulling the strings. He's the one who ultimately sets up and brings down administrations. Look at me in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. The Bible says, Our God controls the course of world events. He removes kings. He sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge 
to the scholars. Though he most certainly disapproves of their evil, this, mean, this means that God allows the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Putins, as well as the Trumps and Bidens to rise to power. He has his reasons. Look at your notes number three. God orchestrates the political stage for his own ultimate purposes. He's moving the world stage ever closer to the time of Christ's return. If you don't believe me, we'll listen to Jesus' words and see if this doesn't ring true in the world we live in today. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus shared when they asked, well, as they said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came came to him privately saying, so tell us, when will these things be? When will you come back? When will your kingdom be set up on this earth? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will deceive many. And all around the world, the deception in religion has gone crazy. Verse 6, You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Absolutely. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom moving against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, I'll add pandemics, the earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And so I say, Lord, You know where we are on your prophetic calendar. You know how you're bringing the world to a place to set up the time when you're going to call your church home and you're going to start the last final seven years on this earth. You're lining up certain events and they're fulfilling prophecy. You're to usher in your coming and establish your kingdom. And I might not like what's happening right now, And so I pray, and to the best of my ability, I do what you lead me to do, what you put on my heart to do. Yet I realize ultimately that you are in control and that every power in place has been ordained or allowed by you. Therefore, I acknowledge that it's all part of your plan. And so I don't lose too much sleep over the political situation or the world situation that we're in. Lord, I know that you're ushering in somehow your kingdom. And it's interesting to note this. Born out of one of the darkest times in world history that we've ever faced to this point, what happened? The miraculous rebirth of Israel, 1948. Certainly all of this God allowed to bring about the prophetic plan with his nation. In the meantime, what's a Christian to do while we're waiting for the Lord's return? Well, I look to the apostles' example. The Jewish authorities were on them, 
demanding that they stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Look at Acts 5:28. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now verse 40. When they had called the apostles and they'd beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they finally let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for Jesus' name. And what did they do? I like this. And daily in the temple and in every house, in other words, every chance they got, no matter what the authorities said, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Wow. That's who we want to be. We want our lives to shine for him in this dark world. John Corson adds this note. Yes, there's a time when we're not to be subject to those in authority. When? When they tell you to do something that is directly contrary to the written word of God. But make sure that if you follow such a course, you have scripture in context and rightly divided, not just a feeling that you're going by to back you up. I also like Paul and Silas' example in Philippi. If you know that story, they submitted themselves to the magistrates in the city and because they submitted themselves to them, they were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. It's actually one of my favorite accounts in the book of Acts. But, Pastor, they didn't have a choice. The magistrates came after them. Well, we'll get back to that. Hold on to that thought. Well, let's look at that account. Acts 16, starting with verse 25. So at midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying, and I like this, they were singing hymns to God, and the prisoners, We're listening to them. And right in the midst of that, suddenly God shook up their world. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. And so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, he was awakened from sleep and he saw the prison doors open. He supposed the prisoners Prisoners had fled. He drew his sword. He was about to kill himself. And Paul could have said, well, serves you right. We, we don't deserve to be in this prison. But what did Paul do? Look at verse 28. And Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we're all here, every single one of us, which was a miracle in itself. Think about that. The prison doors open and all those other prisoners still there. Paul must have had an incredible uh, impact 
upon your lives. Well, he did. And he brought them out, the jailer, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to know this Savior that you're following? What must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to the whole household. And that same hour of that night, the the keeper of the prison washed their wounds, their stripes. Immediately he and all his household, his family were baptized, which means they all gave their hearts to Jesus. And they became a follower of him that night. Verse 34. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before him. So he takes them out of the prison. Now he closed the prison doors again to the rest of the prisoners. But Paul and Silas are now invited into their home. And rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And then an interesting thing happens the next day. The magistrates, who Paul had submitted to, sent the officers saying, let these men go. They've learned their lesson. The next part of the story amazes me even more than this first part of the story. Think about this, Paul's response. But Paul said to them, hey, they've beaten us openly uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now they're going to put us away secretly? Go, you can get out of town now. No, indeed. No, that's not going to happen. Let them come themselves and get us out. So think about this. One word from Paul before they were severely beaten and manhandled, and ridiculed, all Paul would have had to say, I'm a Roman citizen. Whoa! They would have backed off immediately. But Paul chose to submit to their authority. Why? What was going on? Paul was first and foremost a citizen of heaven before he was a citizen of of Rome. What does that mean? It means that his authority, his magistrate, if you want to use that term, it was Jesus, not them. And because Paul obeyed Jesus and looked to Jesus for what to do in that situation, a dad, a mom, All of the kids, why they gave their hearts to Jesus that night. And I wonder how many prisoners were born again that night. And how many lives and families were changed that day. And when they got out of prison, and when they got back home and they gave the testimony of who Jesus Christ had become to them. And families were brought back together and changed. And their world was changed. Amazing what happened in that prison.
So, following Paul's example, I agree with McGee, J. Vernon McGee, his conclusion. So what's a, you know, what's a Christian to do in times like this? Well, he says, my business is to get the word of God out. My business is to obey the law. That's what Paul is saying here. Christianity is not a movement to improve government or to help society clean up the town. It is to preach the gospel, and that is the power of God unto salvation, which will bring into existence individuals like the men who signed the Declaration of Independence and gave us a government of laws. We need God's men and women everywhere in every aspect of society standing for Jesus Christ and bringing the light of the love and the gospel and the mercy and grace of Jesus to this world that we live in. Well, summarizing this first section, we need to submit to the governing authorities in those hopefully rare cases where the law of the land conflicts with the laws of God, the Bible teaches we must obey God rather than man as the Lord leads. Generally speaking, Paul says, God uses human government to keep civilization civil. Well, Paul's second motive as we move on, for conscience sake, verses 5 through 7, let's read those. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Verse 6, for because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now notice Paul is saying here that just like the police are God's minister, he says the same term for the tax collector. Interesting, taxes just right around the corner. Did you know that the IRS actually has a conscience fund? It receives 50 to $100 million annually from people who feel bad about cheating on their taxes, if you can believe that. An anonymous note given to them with some money said this, Dear Sirs, Enclosed are $175 that I owed from taxes 10 years ago. P.S. If my conscience is still bothering me, I'll send the rest later. (laughs) I love it. Notice the two words used, taxes and customs. The word taxes refers to the annual tax. The word custom, the tax on goods, sales tax. And Paul says, pay them both. But Pastor Lee, what if the government spends our tax money foolishly or immorally? Are we still supposed to pay the taxes? I believe Paul is saying, yes, 
Do you think for a moment that taxes paid to Nero's government were used to open Christian schools and old folks' homes? I don't think so. You're dreaming. Paul knew at least a portion of Rome's tax base was spent on Nero's pagan idolatry and all that went with that, which was absolutely immoral. And yet Paul says, pay the taxes. So I sign my 1040 form. I seal it in an envelope. I drop it in the mailbox. Or if you're advanced, you push the send button when you have it ready. And then God holds the politicians responsible for how the money gets spent. I've done my duty to God. My God-given responsibility is to pay my taxes. Interesting, in the second century, as church leaders were wrestling with this same thing, Tertullian, a a Christian leader, said this, What Romans lost by the Christians refusing to bestow gifts on their pagan temples, which they had a choice to do or not to do, they gained by their conscientious payment of taxes. Look at your notes, number four. Government is ordained by God to keep civilization civil and ordained by God to be funded by us. Again, I believe there's a balance in all the things that we talked about in the first section come into play here. For when push gets to shove, we must obey God rather than men. Paul's third motive, for love's sake, let's read verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, we are all, they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For love, verse 10, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In your notes, number five, if we love others the way God has loved us, think about this. We're to be perpetual debtors to share God's love with those that he brings into our lives. So Paul lists here the second tablet of the Ten Commandments how we're to treat our fellow man because we belong to the Lord. God wanted the Israelites to understand this is what love looks like in a society. But once Jesus puts his love into our hearts, we don't need written rules, for we have the love of Christ filling our hearts to overflowing. And in your notes, number six, real love comes from Jesus in our hearts. It won't destroy anyone's marriage, including your own, or kill, or steal, or lie. You see, real love from Jesus gives, not takes. And now finally, the most important motivation of all, 
for the Savior's sake. Verses 11 through 14. And do this knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. In other words, get with it, Christian. Start living for Jesus in the times that we live in. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in this the day, not in revelry or drunkenness or lewdness or lust or strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make any provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So God intends for his church in the first century and the 21st century to live in the light of the overshadowing truth that God is bringing all of mankind to the point that Jesus is coming again. This is what Paul and his first century pals believed with all their hearts. And this is what we believe today. But wherever we are on God's timeline, his prophetic timeline, when Jesus is coming again, it's closer today than it was yesterday. And there's one certainty. It's later than it's ever been before. And time is running out. If for no other reason, then we're all getting older. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you're going to make an impact for Jesus in this world that you live in, where he has put you to live for him, to share his love and his mercy, you better get started. You better make up your mind, I'm going to go for it with all my heart. Wait much longer. It'll be too late. Number seven in our notes as we wrap this up. In this crazy world that we live in, and it is crazy, and it is getting crazier. It seems to be spiraling spiraling out of control. What can a Christian do that will actually make an impact, a difference in this world that we live in? Oh, I love Paul's final and most important word. This is what you can do. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Worship team, come on up. Looking at Isaiah 61. Oh, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he hath clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of his righteousness. Just one last word. Paul says, through all of this, remember what we're called to do? We're called to make a difference in this world 
wherever the Lord has put us. It might be costly. We might have to submit to authorities we don't want to submit to. But my authority is Jesus Christ. And whatever he says, that's what I choose to do, no matter the cost. For I want to get out his love and his mercy, his hope, his future for all eternity, for anyone who I might be able to somehow get through to and touch with the love of Christ. Now's the time to start. For it's later than you think. Now's the time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and worship him. So Paul ends this chapter in an amazing way. Well, I've been thinking about this Christianity stuff. And you've been talking a lot about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. He did for me on the cross of Calvary literally what I couldn't do for myself. But things in my life are just so crazy and I'm going through this and that and I struggle with this and I don't know how to handle that and I don't know. Well, Paul says you can know. All you have to do is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that? Well, you simply invite him into your life. Jesus, you died for me. You rose from the grave. You want to give me eternal life. I put my trust in you. You put on Jesus. And what do you get? His righteousness. Yeah, but pastor, I've done that and I'm still struggling. And I don't know what to do at work. I don't know what to do with this situation. Well, how do I bring, make this work the way I think God wants it to? Well, stop trying to do it in your own strength. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how he loves you and me. Like Paul, who was wondering, now, should I say I'm a Roman citizen? This is not going to work out. Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? And the Lord put on his heart, submit. And he went into prison, beaten, hurting, But what does he do when he gets there? Well, here we are, Lord. I don't know why you have me here, but Lord, you must have a good reason. And we're here. And he started praising and worshiping. And God, in a crazy way, just rocked his world for Jesus. And that's what the Lord wants to do for you and for me. He wants us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ that others might see him no matter what we're going through and their lives might be changed for all eternity. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, maybe this be the day that they put you on 
and take your righteousness and be clothed with your righteousness for all eternity. And Lord, any of us going through struggles or whatever there might be, may this be the challenge that we need to just simply stop trying to do it in our own strength, but put you on. And all heaven will stand with us. And you'll shake the earth if you need to. For God, you are almighty and all-powerful and all-loving. And your mercy and grace is so incredible. And Lord, I pray your blessings upon this precious congregation and those that are signed on today, online. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great Sunday.